Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. When I met Kelly, you know, I was like well into my transition. I was very comfortable in who I was and like my identity. And all of a sudden it was like, I, I feel like, you know, I was so in love with this person that I was able to look at them and kind of look at the kind of mechanics of having a child, you know, like the, the things you need, all of the parts you need and realize that we actually had all of those parts. I think like the bigger picture of making that child seemed so beautiful and magical to me that it kind of overrode like the complexity around like what it would be like to carry a child as someone who identifies as a man and who is seen as a man. When you're a queer male dating other queer males, you sometimes don't think that kids are going to be an option. Just, I should say, you don't think biological kids are going to be an option. So there was a part of me that really thought kids weren't in the cards for me. I just assumed that I was going to have a partner and we would be without child and we would just travel the world and be fabulous. Be fabulous. When I met Spence, we started to have conversations about like what family looked like. And Spence casually mentioned that, you know, he was thinking about having a kid and he would be open to the idea of carrying a child. And it was like kind of the first time in my life that I was faced with like, oh, whoa, one, I could be a dad. And two, I could be a dad with the person that I love. And we could have a little person that's half both of us. And that seemed really magical to me. I was like, oh, that's actually something that I would like. Pregnancy is difficult no matter who you are. But it can be even harder when society sees you one way, pigeonholes you, thinks they know exactly who you are. I was born female, raised female, lived female for like 20-something years of my life. And then kind of like just changed you know like I acknowledged how I'd been feeling and like found a way to kind of like live my truest life and now have like been living as a man for a lot of years and it's it's been an interesting experience you know like the world is very gendered and when you have this chance to exist on both sides of that gender and experience the way the world is from either perspective it's really fascinating Spencer and Kelly's journey to parenthood was a long one, and a beautiful one. Spencer identifies as a queer male. His husband, Kelly, also identifies queer. And even though Spencer is also transgender and had gone through a medical transition to present as a man, 
he was still able to carry their baby. Today, their dads, raising little Alexis, living in Sydney, Australia, and navigating the very real ups and downs of marriage as parents. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. We did this interview over Skype from quarantine, me from my closet, Spencer and Kelly juggling a baby. So, of course, we started with the traditional quarantine niceties. Hey, how are you, Joe? I'm good. How are you doing? I, um, I'm going to turn off my video, but I just wanted to wave and say hi. Actually, almost turned on the call and turned on the video with um, my shirt completely undone because I was just feeding the baby. So, that <laughs> would have been a happy surprise. Um, how are you guys doing? Yeah, we're yeah, doing we're good. Pretty good this morning. Yeah. And then we were able to get into it, into Spencer and Kelly's pretty adorable San Francisco meet cute. Spencer and I met in the summer of 2011. <laughs> was it really 2011? Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Spencer was in San Francisco on holiday. It was San Francisco Pride. And. Yeah, do you want to take it from there? <laughs> yeah, I was on vacation with uh, a bunch of other Australians. So we were super excited. It was Pride. It was like we were living our gayest lives. Pride in San Francisco goes for like four days. It was a party called Ships in the Night. And I saw this beautiful man at the bar when I walked in. Now, since this is audio, I asked Spencer and Kelly to describe what they look like. Yeah, I'm incredibly handsome. No, I'm kidding. That's Spencer. I'm about 5'10". I have kind of like orange, it's like gingery, light brown hair. I'm pretty muscly. I have a lot of tattoos. Um, I have no beard, which is regrettable. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Kelly is tall, dark. He has beautiful brown eyes. He has long dreadlocks, a beautiful smile. And... I'm generally shy. Like some people are like, you're not shy, but inside I feel like I'm a shy person. I would identify as a shy person, but I was on this trip and it was like, you know, so magical. And I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to go and talk to him, you know? So I went and I offered to buy him a drink and he asked for a whiskey neat. And then he like walked away. I kind of like was buying the drink, waiting for it to be made. No, 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 no. For that bit, for that bit. And then I took him the drink. He was talking to another person at the time. I gave him the drink and then I just kind of disappeared because well, I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I said, thank you. He handed me the drink and I turned to my friend to finish our conversation. And then when I turned back to talk to Spence, he had gone. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's that. <laughs> Look, there's no instruction book on how to meet the love of your life. You do, <laughs> you do what you can at the time. I had just recently broken up with a, a long-term partner. So I was had been single for about like a month. And that pride, I was like, I'm going to try to like make out and hook up with as many boys as I can. This is the weekend for it. That Friday, I ran into Spencer again. I was like, oh, that's that cute Australian boy who bought me a drink the other night. 
I'm going to go up to him and have a dance. And then I went up to him and asked him if he wanted to dance. And we started dancing. And then I don't know what came over us, but then we just started making out. And um, our first kiss is actually forever memorialized on a film. Like the photographer took a photo of us right when we had our first kiss. So I have a photo of our very first kiss, which is also pretty magical. I just kind of like asked for his number through another mutual friend and then kind of like we started texting. And then the rest is history, really. We spent two weeks in San Francisco kind of in love. Kelly didn't really have anywhere to live, which was was, madness. uh, I was staying in a house with like 14 Australians in a small apartment on South Venice. And I had just moved into a share house with like six people and I was living in a tiny closet. It wasn't really conducive to this short, long-term relationship that we were forming. (laughs) But But we we, made it work. We did. We made it work. Spencer went back to Australia. Kelly stayed in San Francisco. They talked on Skype during the one hour of free time they shared with the massive time zone difference. It only ever lined up when Kelly was coming home from the club. So I only ever spoke to him as he was drunk walking home um, when I was waking up kind of like on my way to work out. So it was it was a perfect dynamic. Three months goes by and I am chatting with Spence and I said, hey, what would you say if I came and visited you in uh, Melbourne? I was like, I was in grad school at the time and I was like, I'm going to take three months sabbatical and come and hang out with you and we could see if this is really a thing. And then I traveled down to Australia and my three month holiday ended up being six months. And in that six months, we... He came away with a ring on his finger. <laughs> yeah. We didn't really know what else to do, to be <laughs> honest. We kind of were nearing the end of the six month stay and that was the maximum that Kelly could get a tourist visa for. And it was kind of like we didn't really know where we would go from there. So we decided to get married, which was a very interesting situation because I'm transgender. So I actually still had a birth certificate that said I was female because in Australia, gay marriage wasn't legal at the time. And neither was it in... It, It wasn't in the United States either, actually. So we got married as a man and a woman in Australia, which was yeah a, a funny experience because if you saw me, you wouldn't you wouldn't ever pick that that was this the scenario. But that's what we did. Yeah, it was our loophole. It, it was, was our, our loophole. loophole. Yeah, <laughs> we had a marriage celebrant who we kind of like met beforehand, who was blown away, <laughs> but kind of was just like, yeah, I don't. She was very into it. She was very into it. She was very kind of she was very woo. She wore all purple to the <laughs> to the wedding. She was very cool and. After that, uh, Kelly went back to the United States kind of the day after we got married. I think the plan was I was going to go back to the United States. I was going to pack up my life, then move to Australia. But then Kelly got a really good job in San Francisco, a good enough job where he could make enough money to sponsor Spence to live in America. So they pivoted the plan and went to see a lawyer. She was incredibly helpful, but also incredibly expensive. It was going to cost them about $5,000. And I was like, I don't have any money. (laughs) And then I was talking to my mom and I was like, hey, Spence and I, we changed our plans. We're going to stay in America. And my mom was like, you know, I never got to give you a wedding present. Um, How about I pay for your legal fees? And that was it. And then Spence and I applied for his visa to stay in America and he got to stay in America. It wasn't as rosy as Kelly made it out to be, to be honest. It was so, like I said, it. 
gay marriage still wasn't legal in the United States either. So our case was actually quite complicated because we presented as a male couple and my passport said male. Their lawyer recommended they just leave the country and apply for a green card outside the U.S. But it was expensive. They didn't have the money for that kind of thing. So they went for the interview with the immigration officer anyway. It was Kelly, Spencer, and their lawyer, Sarah. And the interviewer thought that Sarah was Kelly and that one of us was Spencer, but didn't really understand the situation. And when we told her that I was actually Spencer and that Kelly was Kelly, she kind of ended the interview right there and then we were rejected. She didn't really look at any of the documentation that said that I was actually like, had a, had, you know, had a female kind of, we were married as a man and a woman. And they rejected us because two men weren't able to be married. But our badass lawyer, Sarah, just said, oh, hell no. And she threatened to sue the immigration department. And they quickly kind of retracted that decision. And I was given my green card. And then we stayed in San Francisco for the next six years. As their relationship grew, they started talking about what they wanted their family to look like. When you're a queer male dating other queer males, you sometimes don't think that kids are going to be an option. Just like, uh, and I, I should say, you don't think biological kids are going to be an option. So there was a part of me that really thought kids weren't in the cards for me. I just assumed that I was going to, I would have a partner and we would be without child and we would just travel the world and be fabulous. Be fabulous. And when I met Spence, we started to have conversations about like what family looked like. And Spence casually mentioned that, you know, he was thinking about having a kid and he would be open to the idea of carrying a child. And it was like kind of the first time in my life that I was faced with like, oh, whoa, one, I could be a dad. And two, I could be a dad with the person that I love. And we could have a little person that's half both of us. And that seemed really magical to me. I was like, oh, that's actually something that I would like. I think I'd always wanted to have a kid. But interestingly enough, I, I never thought that I would carry a child. It just really wasn't something that interested me. And then when I met Kelly... You know, I was like well into my transition. I was very comfortable in who I was and like my identity. And all of a sudden it was like, I feel like, you know, I was so in love with this person that I was able to look at them and kind of look at the kind of mechanics of having a child, you know, like the things you need, all of the parts you need and realize that we actually had all of those parts. I think like the bigger picture of making that child seemed so beautiful and magical to me that it kind of overrode like the complexity around like what it would be like to carry a child as someone who identifies as a man and who is seen as a man. It's not just like that I identified as a man. It's just like, if you put me on the street and you asked everyone, they would say, that's a man. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) when I kind of took all of that in, I was kind of like, whoa, this is actually the most beautiful thing I could ever do. Yeah. And that was, we kind of made the decision to pursue it. Time for a quick break. When we get back, Spencer and Kelly start their long journey to become dads. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. 
The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. So Spencer and Kelly had made the decision to pursue parenthood. Spencer had already transitioned to being a man, but as he said, he still had all the parts necessary to carry a baby. It actually took about five years of actively trying to get pregnant. So we started off like every uh, couple, I'm sure, that tries to have a baby. We just tried to go down the regular route of just kind of like being in your relationship and hoping it happens. I don't know how long it was, but it, was, it just wasn't happening. Like in the beginning of our attempts, I was quite anxious. We decided to go and kind of have some fertility checks done on the both of us. And it came back that we actually had some issues there, which kind of meant that our, well, it literally meant that our only option to have a baby was to go through IVF. And for anyone that doesn't know, IVF is very, very expensive. It was our first round of IVF cost $20,000. And like, we didn't really have money. This is like a situation. I was working two jobs. We were just kind of like making money and putting it into this process, and which was like really hard. But we did a first round after kind of being pushed into it in a really rapid way by medical professionals. It was kind of like, oh, look, you have these issues. Here you go. Like, here's this doctor. And we kind of just found ourselves like going down this path. We did this first round and sadly, like we didn't even get to the point where we could transfer any embryos. It was like no embryos survived. So it was like $20,000 for nothing, which was really, really hard to handle. And after that, we decided to take a break. I went back on testosterone, a year passed. You know, we kind of like were in a good place. And then after about a year, we decided, cool, like let's try this again. And we found a different doctor. It was a much slower process. So we got to the day where we tried to undergo the procedure again. We had a much better kind of round. We were able to get, I think we had six viable embryos. We transferred to, we got pregnant, um, and then we sadly had a miscarriage at eight weeks. Then we transferred another two. We didn't get pregnant. And then we moved to Australia. We shipped the last two embryos to Australia, tried those two, didn't get pregnant, and then at that point, we were, we were like incredibly worn out emotionally, physically, financially. And we had a conversation where we were like, hey, like, we really want this, but this is also killing us a little bit, you know? And we kind of had to weigh up, you know, if, if it's worth it. They agreed to try one last time. They had no money left, but they were able to access some of their retirement funds in Australia. They got three embryos in that final round of IVF, but only one of them survived. And that was put in. 
we had to wait, you know, as for people that don't know, you wait two weeks and then after two weeks, you basically have a pregnancy test to see if it worked. The day before the pregnancy test, I started bleeding heavily, literally heartbroken. Like, I can't tell you, this was like, knowing this was the, the final attempt and that we had one chance was so intensely hard to deal with. I like prayed. I, I'm not even, like, who, who do I pray to? I don't even know. I don't, I've never prayed before. I was like praying. I was writing. I was like writing like down these like mantras of like, please have this baby. Like it was really insane. And when I started bleeding, I was just heartbroken. For whatever reason, I was like, something told me to walk to the chemist, get a pregnancy test and just take it. And I did. And I was pregnant. And I called the nurse crying, being like shaking, just like, I don't know what's happening. You know, the pregnancy test says I'm pregnant. I'm bleeding like heavily. She was like, hey, congratulations. Like You're pregnant. I want you to calm down. I went in the next day, had the pregnancy test and was pregnant and then bled for like the next three months. That's what it was like. That, that's what our pregnancy was like, to be honest. It was just like, <clears throat> you know, like panicked at every step because I think like there was just so much writing on it, you know, like it, it being the last chance and knowing that like that was a decision we made and that was the decision we were going to stick to. Like there was no way that after that last one, if it hadn't have worked, that I would have gone down it again. We were just too, it was just depleting our relationship. Yeah, so it was like really scary. But this time the pregnancy stuck and Spencer and Kelly couldn't have been happier. It's no secret that your body changes when you're pregnant. And Spencer had spent a long time transitioning his body from female to male. Look, it, I'd already had a double mastectomy, so I didn't have any breasts, which was like definitely made it a little bit easier for me in regards to my like I don't know the way that I viewed my body, but I, I was very much into fitness. So I was like, you know, I went to the gym maybe five times a week. Watching my body change in ways that kind of went against that kind of image that I had of myself was definitely challenging. But I feel like I did a lot of work leading up to the pregnancy on just kind of like letting go, like breathing through, <laughs> breathing through the moments of kind of like overthinking. And just kind of like getting through. And to be honest, I, f I found that I was actually able to enjoy parts of the pregnancy, which I think that I was really able to kind of compartmentalize the two experiences. So be able to hold tight on my male identity, but also be able to kind of like be in awe of like what this body that I was given was able to do, which was a, it was a really interesting juxtaposition actually to experience. Before I got pregnant, it was one of those things with, that it was like, what are you going to do when you're pregnant? Like, will we just go to a farm and like <laughs> stay out of sight for, for nine months? It was definitely confronting to be like, how do I make this work? How do I wear clothes? How do I like go to my job and just act like everything's normal when this like really wild thing is happening? We entered a maternity section at a store one time and we kind of quickly walked out of there because it just wasn't working it kind of started to make me feel stressed out i typically went and bought any kind of men's pants that would fit me around the waist the big and tall yeah and then i had a friend kind of alter the pants like alter the leg because they were obviously way too big i found asos maternity wear online which was a game changer because they have like so much kind of it's just kind of like gender neutral um, maternity wear. So lots of kind of like cool, like what I would say in inverted commas are like cool pants or like things that I would kind of wear 
normally. So I bought a bunch of stuff from them and I literally just rotated those pants with large t-shirts. <laughs> that was all I could do. Look, I think something yeah. that people need to realize is like, if you see a man with a belly on the street, your first instinct <laughs> you don't think say, he's pregnant you don't say oh my god i wonder if he's pregnant yeah. you're like oh that's just a fat man <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. that there's anything wrong with fat men but like that's your first instinct is like that's just a larger bodied man so i think for spence a lot of people would see him and just think oh that's just a larger man or oh spence is letting himself go he's maybe drank one too many beers like it's just not in people's realms of uh possibility so like he kind of went unnoticed uh, almost till the very end. Yeah, it was it, like it, it was hard because like what Kelly says is true. Like no one ever thought or, or would like ask me, oh, you know, are you having a baby? Like that just wasn't what would happen. But I knew. So it was very hard for me personally to walk around and kind of be like, oh, God, I'm pregnant. You know what I mean? And like try to hide it. But I did always remind myself that that wasn't what people were thinking. But at the end, there was definitely some moments where I felt like people looked at me and were like, wait, something isn't right there. Like literally in the last weeks, I was in an elevator on my way to work and I hadn't told anyone at my work except for like my manager and HR. And I was in the elevator with another young guy who worked in the other office downstairs and there was another woman and it was just us three in there. And he said to me, are you expecting a baby? And I was like, oh my God. And I said, yeah, like I just said it out of nowhere. And he was just like totally normal. And he was just like, cool. Like when is, how long until it's due? And I was like a couple of weeks. And he was like, awesome. The elevator opened and he left. Because like when that, when that guy did ask me, it was, there was parts of me that felt incredibly happy that I'd been seen because there were also moments where I felt so invisible. And that was kind of heartbreaking at times, especially when I was like well into the pregnancy, I could feel the baby moving. You know, I was experiencing all of those things that other pregnant people talk about or like share with one another. But I, I, I just wasn't involved in those conversations, which kind of felt sad to me at times. When I did get recognized in that moment, it actually kind of felt good. <laughs> How'd your relationship change during the pregnancy? Full disclosure, Spence and I also have a really amazing therapist who we've been uh, with the last maybe five years. Her name is Karen, and she has been with us through this entire pregnancy process. So she's known us before baby, when we we're thinking about baby, and now after having a baby. So while we were pregnant, we were seeing Karen, and we have just were able to have all these really beautiful conversations about what it was like being pregnant and what it would be like being parents. I think when it came to our relationship, I felt really connected to Spence while we were pregnant. We really put in a lot of work to prepare ourselves and our marriage for this time. And not just this, I mean, we put in work for our marriage period, but we put in a lot of work during and before and post uh, having a baby to kind of make sure that we were strong enough to kind of withstand like you know, all of the pressures that that puts on, on a partnership. It's really hard. One of the hardest things was that you have two human beings who are both, you know, you're both pregnant. Like you're going through a pregnancy, both of you, but your experiences of that pregnancy are so different. And it's, 
really, really hard to come to a middle ground and have an understanding of what each other's experience is. Because I was, I didn't kind of identify as the mother or like a lot of the things in society that are geared towards like the person carrying the baby didn't really feel like they applied to me a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know. So my journey felt kind of disjointed from this typical path that people take when they're pregnant as well. So we were both like trying to figure out kind of like how each other was feeling and like what we needed to do to be good partners to one another a lot of the time. Hence why our therapist kind of really helped us navigate that. Yeah, I even remember when while we were pregnant, I started to like want to like consume as many parenting books as I could. I wanted to know everything there was about becoming a parent, being pregnant. And I remember just reading these texts that were like, uh, I remember I was reading one for dads in particular, and it was like going through like the nine months of being pregnant and what dads should be doing. And it was just like, it felt a bit, uh, how do I say it? it felt a bit insulting <laughs> because I was like, I felt like I couldn't imagine a world where dads weren't already doing these things. Like for example, it was one of the <laughs> yeah. things was like, oh, your partner is pregnant. Um, you should do the laundry you should take over <laughs> chores that your partner used to do like the laundry and the cooking um ask your partner to put together a grocery list of all the things that they buy at the grocery store and i couldn't imagine a world where a husband or dad didn't already know what their partner was buying i'm like don't you consume the food don't you know what's on the grocery list already spencer and kelly decided early on that they didn't want to know the sex of their baby they wanted it to be a surprise Still, the two of them had convinced themselves they were having a baby girl. And sure enough, we have a scheduled C-section. They pull Alexis out of Spencer's belly, and it's a boy. <laughs> so I felt really surprised. I was like, oh my, I mean, my breath was taken away because I couldn't believe I now had a baby and I was a parent, but also that I had a really beautiful little boy to take care of. So it was this really magical, uh, I know we use the word magical a lot, but it, this whole experience has felt really magical for us. Like there was moments where we just thought like, yeah, this is the end for us. We're not gonna have a baby and we were pregnant or we won't be, the pregnancy won't go to full term and we go to full term or we'll have a complication during the C-section and we give birth to a beautiful baby boy. So like Alexis really feels like a magical gift for us. He's like this miracle baby that was like all of the, all of our dreams answered um, under really like stressful circumstances. When Spence gave birth to Alexis, we had to be in hospital for three days. And those three days, Spence was recovering from having a really intense major surgery. So... From the very beginning, I kind of started to take the lead with Alexis, giving him his bottle, changing his nappy, soothing him to sleep. When Alexis was taken out of me, they kind of like put him on my chest. It was great and all, but like very quickly, I started to feel quite faint, like I was going to pass out. So Kelly had to take Alexis and kind of Kelly did most of the skin to skin with Alexis after he was born because I kind of just was really really faint 
tapered through, you know, for the next kind of couple of hours. So it was a really good moment for him to kind of like have, you know, this really close experience with this baby that I had been carrying for nine months. So I already felt very close to him. Recovering from a C-section is a lot. And the three of them were confined to a tiny room together for three days. So when they got home, it was a relief, but it was also hard. Spencer was recovering, and Kelly wanted to make sure that he was doing his part, that he was doing just as many dad duties as Spencer was. We, like most things, we negotiated, tried to negotiate or set up kind of like how it would work, and we definitely wanted to be very even in our duties to the baby. We were lucky enough that we were bottle feeding him, so it didn't, you know, the one, like, task of feeding didn't fall on one parent. So we tried to give each other, um, we took turns in waking up, we gave each other the space to nap if we needed, all of this kind of stuff. So the transition into parenthood actually felt really um, smooth. And I, like, I want to say easy, but I know it wasn't easy. I think on hi- in hindsight, you're able to say it was easy, but it, it, it felt very nice. <laughs> That's a horrible word. It felt easy. Or, I'm just going to say easy. <laughs> Don't say nice. You can do <laughs> use your words. Easy and nice is a good place to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about what it's been like for Spencer and Kelly to raise baby Alexis. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty-turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter over the influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Spencer had to go back to work pretty soon after Alexis was born. His old company had gone under while he was pregnant. So I was jobless. I was unemployed, pregnant, (laughs) and was like, oh my God, like, what the hell is going to happen here? Like, I don't want to, like, I'm going to have to get a new job. I'm going to have to tell them I'm pregnant. I'm going to have to take maternity leave or paternity leave, whatever. So that was all in my brain and is kind of what happened. I ended up getting this new job at a company and had to kind of like, one, tell them I'm trans, two, tell them I'm pregnant, and three, tell them I'm already kind of like four months in um, and will need to take leave like pretty soon after. Because all that happened, I only had six weeks um, maternity or paternity leave. So I had to return to work six weeks after the C-section, which was quite a lot. You think you're good and then you step out into the real world and try to function and you're just exhausted. You're absolutely exhausted. You're not sleeping very well. You know, you're still recovering from a major surgery. So that was probably one of the harder parts um, was going back to work so soon. But Kelly took on full-time dad duties and pretty soon they fell into a routine. 
The years and years of therapy helped the two of them nurture their relationship with each other as they formed a new bond with Alexis. And together, they decided on one really important thing. We agreed that it was really important that our relationship should become should come before Alexis, which I think can sound really insane sometimes, you know, like putting something before your child. But I felt like putting our child before our relationship would be a massive mistake and would definitely harm Alexis. So we have, from the very beginning, we the first person to come over and care for Alexis so that we could go out was when he was about six weeks old. And we went out on our first date and it was very cute. We drank a whole bottle of wine. We um, went out to dinner. The person who cared for Alexis couldn't soothe him. So we had to come straight back home <laughs> after drinking a whole bottle of wine. But it was like the first step of us staying true to this commitment that we would kind of just focus on our relationship and make sure that our relationship was solid, you know, with the belief that if our relationship is solid, then that's the foundation of our family, right? So our family is only going to be solid if we're solid. So we've continued that. And, you know, I'll come home from work and Kelly will be like, put on your dancing shoes. He never would say that, but it's just metaphorically. Put on your dancing shoes, like we're going out, you know, and then next minute a babysitter knocks on the door and we're off, you know, and he's made a reservation at a restaurant and we're kind of like out for the evening, which feels really great. We're two adults. We're actually super in love. You know, it's so important to remember that that kind of runs parallel with our experience of being parents and having a child. Becoming dads has brought Spence and I closer in lots of ways. One, I think that like when I now imagine my family, I imagine Spence and Alexis, and that's such a warm and sweet feeling, knowing that they both will forever be my family. And I also think that, like, yeah, you know, I, this might sound cheesy or corny, but I do think Alexis has brought us closer together and made our love feel complete in ways. You know, not that we were incomplete. Like he's Alexis is like a spice that's added to our already good tasting relationship and just made our relationship that much more savory and beautiful. I think Kelly and I have kind of referred to our relationship as being this like beautiful, like super, you know, magical dynamic. And it is, it is a hundred percent. But I also just like want to mention that it only is that way because we put in so much work. I feel like none of our relationship has just happened. You know, like every single part of it has been conversations and negotiations and like really taking time to understand each other's desires and each other's kind of identities as, as an individual and kind of what each other bring to this partnership. We wouldn't be where we are today and we wouldn't be able to speak about like the ease of having this baby and like being new parents if we didn't put in that work every single day. I just don't want anyone hearing this to be like, oh, that that is just, it's just not reality, you know, because it is reality if you make it a reality.
I always said, regardless of the sex of our baby, I would kind of like teach them about the world that they live in. So we live in a world that is gendered. So I was like, Spence and I decided that we were going to gender our child, whatever the sex they were at birth. And we would have conversations about how gender is fluid and that at any time, if our child wants to, we would encourage them to explore their gender. And we'd also let them know that their gender isn't something that's fixed. And it's something that if he wants to change at any point, he can. So that's all to say that like, being two men and a little boy has been a really beautiful experience. I think what I'm most excited about is just raising a human being with just giving him all of the information that I've learned uh, in this life. And I think whatever he chooses to do, however he chooses to express himself in life, I'm just going to support him 100%. But also challenge him, also challenge him on things and kind of like, I, I, I just don't want him to grow up just blindly following some rule that like he, he has no idea what it means or why it's in, why it's even in place. You know, I just really want him to kind of question it. It's such a joy to wake up with this child and now that he's kind of like super in interactive and he shows his joy and his pleasure at being alive, it's just so beautiful to watch. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza, with special thanks to Kelly and Spencer Desert-Smith. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Kling. Theme song by Tristan McNeil. We would also like to give a very special thanks to everyone at MotherMag.com. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.